Uh, I had an early, early morning on Friday, a trip to the airport with our middle daughter, Susan. She had a flight that she needed to be at the airport at 4.30, which meant we were on the road at 4 a.m. Y'all, there's nothing happening at 4 a.m. on the roads. It's dark and it's quiet. Um, I didn't turn the radio on. We're just driving in the light, you know, the lights of the headlights and had a flashback for me personally of making trips like that with our son Darden when he was younger as we would get up at 3.30, get in the car at 4 to go hunting. Uh, There's something special about that for a dad. Uh, And in that ride, and I don't know that Susan would have said this if we were, I don't know, if the radio was on or other things going on, but it was quiet and dark, and she said to me, we're driving, and she's just speaking over here, and she said, Dad, I have this fear that the world is going to end. And then I hear news, and it scares me, and I just have this constant fear about the end of the world. And I don't know why. Now, she couldn't see me because I'm driving, and I think she's just speaking out, you know, into the car. And this big smile is coming across my face as I'm driving. First of all, because my 18-year-old daughter has just handed me her heart. What a gift. And secondly, because I knew the answer to her question. And I said, Susan, the reason you have this fear is because the nut has not fallen far from the tree. And your dad has grown up with that fear his whole life. And we just talked about it. It's true. I've I've always had that fear as a young person, as a young adult even. And, uh, you know, as I got curious about it and explored it with her, affirmed it, uh, had the opportunity to just talk together and bring Christ to that fear. Not don't be afraid, don't push that, but hey, let's bring Christ and, and what God says. Let's bring that into our fear. Dropped her off. You know, she's at that age where I said, you want me to go in with you? And y'all, this is the first time I've ever, t- ever taken her to the airport by herself where she went in by herself. No, you know, just drop me off. Boom, she gets out. Heads in. I'm driving to the office still in the dark, and I've got this huge grin on my face because I'm, I'm absolutely grateful that as I reflect on just those moments, I thought, I get to do that with my daughter. I get to be curious about her heart and her fears and her joys and her longings and her disappointments. And I get, I get to sit with her and and, and, and explore together, you know, how do we bring Christ into these fears and hurts and longings? And it made me mindful of my role as one of your pastor teachers. Y'all, I get to sit with you, uh, whether it's in a one-to-many setting or a one-on-one setting with us. That I can sit with you in your fears, in your brokenness, in your sin and mine in our foolishness, in our hurts, our longings, our disappointments. And then we can together go, how, does, how do we bring Christ into this place? How do we bring the Word of God to bear here? And I want to do that with you this morning. Rather than turning to the Gospel of Mark today, I want to have 
a personal and a biblical conversation with you about the letter you received last week, about the announcements you heard from here uh, last weekend. We're going to be back in Mark. We'll pick it up again. Now, everybody take a deep breath. In God's providence, we are at this place, and we can talk about it. I want to speak to you as one of your pastors and as an elder, okay? Now, uh, I'll move in and out of that, and and we've described it this way. You understand, my role is I'm a teaching pastor here, and I'm an elder. And the way that works is that that I, I function in this way with the elder board, I am at times over the board. Now, what I want you to hear when I say that is when right now I open this Bible and Barry McCall sitting over there as an elder or Meredith Kinder sitting right there as an elder, I am over them, do you see, as I open the Word and we're submitted to the Word. So I function over, but I also function alongside because together, and we submit to one another, I'll talk about that in a moment, uh, I serve with the elders as an elder. And then understand this, any employee of this church and me as a teaching pastor, I function under the board in my role. They they choose my role, responsibilities, hire me, let me go, whatever. That's them. Does that make sense? So there is an over alongside and an under for me as a pastor, teacher here at Fellowship. Let me say, first of all, it's the elder's responsibility to provide spiritual oversight, to shepherd, to guard the mission and the values of the church. They are responsible, <coughs> excuse me, to ensure that this church, under their stewardship, remains faithful to the, the core essentials of what we've always been faithful to. There are many, but I'll say this, faithful to Bible exposition to the authority and inerrancy of God's Word in our lives. Absolutely essential that they guard that and ensure that we walk in those things. Expository teaching, the way that we teach the Word. Here's how that functions. I want you to think about it graphically in this way. Ephesians says that Jesus is the head of the church. If you ever gone through our join class, you know we say there's no senior pastor. Jesus Christ is a senior pastor of his church. And the elders, a plurality of men, look to Jesus as to how he wants to serve and lead his church. And so the elders submitted to Jesus, you see, then submit to one another. Lord, what do you mean they submit to one another? It's not one elder's prerogative to say this or that. They must submit to each other in the spirit under the submission of Christ so that together in that plurality, they can, you know, it's just the way God has designed it, they can best seek the mind of Christ. Not that it's one man, but it's a plurality that together discern and debate and, 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 and work out and go, I think. We sense this is Jesus' will for our community of faith. And that's how that, that elder board functions. And in this way, the church is led by a plurality of men who have been vetted. They have been affirmed by the body 
as men who are, in a nutshell, above reproach, according to First, according to First Timothy. These men are not perfect men. Uh, they are faithful men of character and integrity. How many times have we heard Michael, which is wonderful, stand right here and say, these are good and godly men. I would trust them with my wife and my wallet. And I would say, amen. Because that's who they are. They do, y'all, what they do. Because they love Christ and they love you. They made a very difficult leadership decision. And as much as they sought for that communication to be clear, to be helpful, for some of you it was just the opposite. Can I say to you, I'm sorry. We're sorry. That was not as clear as we hoped. Would you forgive us? What you read, if you read the email, and then what you saw and heard, I was at Franklin last week, that what you saw and heard here, you know what it's like, you read the email, and what you saw, it, it didn't all match up. We get it. And so it makes perfect sense. We want, we want you to know, it just makes so much sense why many of you would hear and see and, and come away confused, Let's start there, hurt, and uh, some even, even angry. What I'm saying is this, it, it's a bit of a weird sentence. It, it makes sense to us why this decision doesn't make sense. We get it. Uh, we have spent the last week meeting with you. I have personally, the elders have talking with you on the phone or following up by email, hopefully just face-to-face. And may I say on behalf of the elders, thank you, thank you, thank you. We're grateful for your feedback. We're grateful that you speak and we share and we can have a conversation. You have been honest. It has been heartfelt. There has been a range of emotions, but most certainly there's been disappointment and sadness. Y'all, why wouldn't we not feel sadness at this? We ought to feel sadness in, in, in a loss and a change, it's, it's good. It's okay. And you have communicated to us uh, gratitude and, and, and thankfulness. Uh, you've said, we, we trust you. Even though we don't know all the stuff that goes behind this decision. And, and we're grateful for that. You deserve communication from us that is as clear as we can possibly be and for the ways that it has not been, we apologize. And we own that. So I'd like to try and give as much clarity as I can this morning. But let me say at the outstart, and you already know what's going to come out of my mouth in a way. I cannot answer every question you have. And I, and I think every adult in the room intuitively knows, understands that. But I hope to give, if I can, I'm going to use this word again, I hope to give some clarity and maybe some, some sense of rationale and context, you know, some context and rationale around these things. Let's start here. 
um, in order for any, any, and I want you to think broadly, any organization uh, that is that is any organization that's led by a team to function well, there's got to be a certain level of, we've used these words, there's a certain level of, of, of clear alignment, we, you know, we would say, uh, resonance within that team, and then that synergy that's produced uh, with that team. If you take away any of these ingredients, uh, you can have a team, and it, and it can be cordial and respectful and kind and caring and, and, and helpful, uh, but removing any of those things, and it's, uh, it's difficult for that team to, to lead an organization. I, and again, I think we all, as adults, can understand that to some degree, to lead it with, with clarity and, 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 and clear, movement, clear movement forward. And I'm going to tell you something. This has, been, uh, this has been the situation at Fellowship uh, for a good period of time. It, it may not have been apparent to you. Uh, you've got, I know... You could sit here on a Sunday morning and feel like, I don't see any challenges or whatever. And I get that. I'm grateful for what we, we do on Sundays um, and, and grateful for your perspective on that. But there is, there is so much more to leading a church than services on a weekend. And our focus even, isn't even on the weekend. We, we're about going outside these walls and all that happens the rest of the week. What a church needs from its leadership is crystal clarity and consistent crystal clarity around why we're here, where we're going, and how we are going to get there. And we have not been able to give that to you for some time because of these differences and in, in, in this lack of alignment, as I keep coming back to, on our leadership team. And, and this is what we tried to say and didn't say well when we said we feel stuck. It's, it, we, we, there's this stuckness for us. We've got great theological, doctrinal alignment along with personal appreciation and respect and care and honor for team members, but we've not been um, aligned enough when, I'll take these categories, it, it, when it comes to, when you think about uh, ministry and leadership philosophy and, and how do we think about team and how team functions. Again, some of you are sitting here going, well, I've I've never felt that, and I get it. You, you may not have felt it, but, you know, we do annual reviews. Elders engage with all the leadership, with lay leaders, etc. And, and, and I will say this. They've felt it. The, your staff team and lay leaders, they've, they've felt this sense of stuckness. And I want to say again, the challenges have been differences, not matters of right and wrong. This is no, this is no right or wrong, but there's... Some differences that exist. So after months, months and months, I mean this, it's, it's close to a year of conversations, healthy uh, dialogue, extended prayer, uh, seeking outside counsel, trying to, to see clearly and hear clearly what Jesus, how he wants to lead his church, taking time to reflect, giving space between dialogue, and then coming back and revisiting a conversation and revisiting a conversation and revisiting an issue. The elders, over that time, made the leadership transitions that were announced in that letter and in the services last week. And those decisions involved moving Rob Sweet into the role of lead pastor, 
lead pastor over fellowship and all of our congregations. Michael transitioning off staff in November and taking the title teaching pastor emeritus. And then me coming alongside Rob in his lead pastor role. And really, y'all, I'll carry fundamentally the same responsibilities I, I always have in, in around shepherding and walking with you as, all, as well as the teaching responsibilities and oversight that I give. The decisions were not about any one person. And again, I'm going to ask you to think as adults. These decisions are hardly ever about one person or one issue. It's never that, y'all, it's just never that simple or clear. The issues have been multifaceted um, around differences around, and, and perspectives that are, hear this, that are good, that are right, and that are healthy. That's what they've been around. And yet those differences in the estimation of the elders were creating more stuckness than synergy for us as a community of faith. Now, my guess is, just go with me here, especially every adult in the room and students in this room or children in a sense, I think you might get this, but those of you who, I mean, if you're a parent, if you're on the board of a nonprofit, if you run your own business, have you not had to make decisions around personnel that you care about and love that people didn't understand and yet you as the leader, as hard as that is, you knew you had to make that decision for the good of the whole. This happens all the time. And the question is, how do you go through that process? How do you do that? Now, clearly, we communicated really poorly around it. But I assure you, we did not go through a process poorly. And the elders did not go through a process poorly to make those decisions. To say this was a difficult decision for the elders is an understatement. It's been agonizing. Uh, they will give an account to God for their stewardship of this church. Just as I, as a teacher, Paul says, not many of you teach because you're going to give an account for what you teach. I give an account for what I teach. These decisions were made through a patient process. They were made in plurality and submission to one another. And they were made with a healthy reverence. Can I say this, y'all, for what it would mean? Now, you talk about a hard decision, a courageous decision. Do you think the elders did not expect to get some hard conversations out of this? Of course there'll be hard conversations. Did they back away from the decision that no. To say this is difficult for Michael and Cindy, isn't that a huge understatement, you know? How, how challenging for them to, uh, to, to walk through uh, these days. Did Michael want this decision for him? No. Did the elders want this decision for Michael? No. Well, why did they make this decision? Because they're responsible for the good of the whole. 
even when that means making a difficult decision with, with people you care about and love. And that's why they made the decision. And can I say this again? I get this. A decision that you look at and go, that doesn't make any sense. I get that. The life of faith, you tell me. Does it make sense? Does God call you to things that to people don't make sense all the time? Like, the, like, like you, I want you to know the elders could not be more grateful for Michael, Cindy, uh, for, for, for who he is and what he's done, his fruitfulness among us. He is honored and respected. He's done nothing wrong he has not disqualified himself. There's no whiff. There's no whiff of, of, of immorality and propriety. He is a man of integrity and character. And he will be our teaching pastor emeritus, such that you know, God's not done, you know. And as he and Cindy step into a new season, whatever God has for them in that, they go not just with the blessing of the elders. But you see, but with a title that says, we really think highly of this guy, honor him. Michael has walked in his integrity through the process, and the elders have sought to make the transition for he and Cindy, one that's marked by kindness and care, grace and honor. Okay, Lloyd, so, so is everything okay between Michael and the elders. Well, you can ask them. And the hunters over here, and I know Barry's here, there'll be elders up front after the service. I would say yes. But let's, let's, you know, I've never stood up here and tried to hide something from you. Yes, it's okay. Is it a little awkward right now? Yes. Is there, is there some work to be done, some relational Tension, you know, I'm just speak for me, you know. Yeah, but do you have relationships with that like that in your life? I think you do. And here's what, you know, Michael said it last week. As long as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. You cannot lead nor go through a difficult process and make hard decisions without stepping on each other's toes and, ow, getting my toes stepped on. And yet, in spiritual maturity, we can walk in peace. We can walk in honor. We relate, relate as brothers, and we do, and we will. I said to my friend David recently, uh, I said, David, golly, I wish there was another way. I wish God had some other, I wish he had put some other something in place to extend his kingdom on the earth, other than the church, because this is too Hard, you know, we keep, this is just difficult. And even as the words crossed my mind, and on later reflection, I stopped and I went, and, and for me, I said, I'm talking about the bride 
of Jesus Christ. We're in the study of Mark and we're in the Passion Week and we're taking it hour by hour and day by day. And I had, I was going to teach Mark today, by the way, and I changed. I want you to know Saturday morning. Felt like we need to talk about this. And the, the beatings and the brutality and the Passion Week. Do you understand he did that for the church? And you say, well, yeah, Lloyd, he did it for the universal church. No, no. The universal church, all true believers in Christ, finds its expression always in the Bible in a, in a local community of believers led by a plurality of elders under the headship of Christ. And so you and me, we're the, the bride of Christ. And when you get there, you go, wow, what did, what did I just say about his bride? You know, I do a wedding. I, could, could you imagine me, the bride walking down the aisle and me turning to the groom and going, she's ugly. You know, that, it'd be like, what? What? And that is what I do sometimes. I'm not talking about you. I do that sometimes. You know, the elders will be held accountable, and I, said, I think I said earlier, will be held accountable for how we respond. Maybe I didn't say it earlier, but I'll say it here because that's what those words did to me. Reminded me that I'm accountable to God for how I speak and my words and my decisions. And it puts a healthy dose of reverence in me. Y'all, can I say as, a, as your pastor, you will give an account for how you respond to the authority in your life. It is not an accident that the elders are the elders and Jesus is the head. And if you've submitted to them, you will give an account for your response to that authority and every authority in your life. At times, the church is ugly. Let's be honest, because we're ugly in our sin. But oh no, not in Christ. We're redeemed. We're loved. Do you understand? We're delighted in. Do you know what he calls us? My beloved. May we honor him and her. Jesus is the Lord of the church. He has so ordained it, according to the Bible, that the church be led by a plurality of elders or under shepherds, faith, flawed, faithful men of character and faith, and they make faith decisions as they lead. And you know what? It's okay to disagree. Because we all disagree with authorities in our life at some level, but at the end, do we trust? I'm not even talking about the elders now. I'm talking about if the guy pulls you over with the blue lights on his car, you know, or, or the government says do this or pay your taxes. All authority from God. Now think about this, because we're in the study, we're in the study of this right now. 
Okay, Jesus comes. He lives the life we could not live, sinless. He dies the death we all deserve. He's raised from the grave three days later. There is no more important message. It, It doesn't exist other than this good news. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loves the world and he's made a way to be back into relationship through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that message of the kingdom you see is the most important message in the universe and the Savior is dying for it. And and before he goes to, to heaven where he is till he returns again, he gives us his spirit that The Spirit of Christ lives in us. That's what we say when Christ lives in us. And then he gives us the message and he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. And think about it. Think about who he hands it to. Where are the disciples at Jesus' greatest hour of need? Where are they? What's happened to them? Where are they in our study of Mark? Say it out loud. Where are they? What are they doing? They're gone. They're chicken. You're, You're faithless. You're a failure. You guys are so... And Jesus, now watch this. We, from the world's perspective, say those guys aren't qualified. Those guys aren't strong enough to lead this movement that, needs to, that God's going to use to save the world. Let's go find a centurion. They lead a thousand troops. Let's find a Roman general. They'll lead them. And God says, no, no, because in God's economy, those men are right where they need to be because they are on the verge of self depletion. They're right on the cusp of going, we can't do this. They're right there at the moment of their deepest weakness. And God says, that's the ones I will use, you see, for in their weakness, who's made strong? God is. In their flaws, in their faithlessness, and God's faithfulness, who gets the glory? God does. Y'all, this is the way of the kingdom. This is the way God works. Because what God is always doing in his church, and he's doing it here at our local expression of his body, is never about us. It's not about us, people. It is about Jesus Christ. It is about the spirit of God and the spirit of power in Christ. And it is about the glory of God redeeming a fallen humanity And calling those redeemed people to live in such a way that people outside these walls in this community and around the world would see those people and know God loves them. That's why we're here. It's why we exist. You know, in the summer times, we have a lot of guests, I know, and if you're a guest this morning, hello, you're probably scratching your head going, man, it, it, what a weekend we picked to visit this church, man. I, I've never done church like this. Can I say to you, okay, let me, let me calm you down. I'm glad you're here today because you know what? This is who we are as a, as a community of faith. We are not perfect. We will make mistakes. In God's kindness, we will repent. We will ask forgiveness. And we will believe God to do what only he can do. If you're a guest and you go, I've never done church like this, let me ask you this. Have you ever done family? 
Little, that was very nervous laughter. Very, very nervous laughter. Uh, we can talk afterwards if there's problems over there. Um, the church is a family. There you go. I uh, moved here almost, I'm right on the verge, Lisa and I are right on the verge of 21 years ago, and I came here as a reluctant church planter and pastor. Um, it's been almost 21 years, you all. Uh, I remain, and you know, if you know me personally, you know this, I remain a reluctant pastor, and in part, it's because of this stuff. This stuff kills me. Because my wiring and gifting is not leadership per se. That's not my strong suit. I'm going to tell you that. But oh, 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 do these things not press me to my knees? Do these things not make me go, what's going on in me? And God, where are you at work? You know, when you squeeze the toothpaste, what comes out? Whatever's in the tube, right? What's coming out of you through this? Honestly, when you were sitting here last week, what came out of you? It's okay. But whatever came out of you, pay attention to it because that's an opportunity to go, oh my gosh, I didn't know I said, that's how I feel. And it's how you, and go, oh God, that's good. Or, oh God, that's not so good. I need to own that. You see, this is, this is a great opportunity for that. As Susan and I were driving in that darkness, um, I'm smiling, you know, she didn't see it. But I said into that darkness, honey, I get it. I'm scared too. Thoughts about the end of the world? Who wouldn't be scared? What, what might it look like to bring Christ into that fear in his word? Susan, it's going to be okay. Because God keeps his promises. Because you are in Christ and Christ is in you. And God is in control. And can I say to Fellowship Bible Church, I'm confused too. These things are difficult to get my own head around. What does it look like to bring Christ into that confusion? What I'm confident of is Christ is in us. We are in Christ. And Christ is in control. Fellowship Bible Church, it's going to be okay. Because God keeps his promises. Y'all, we have an amazing opportunity before us. Um, let's don't waste it. We could spend the next 10 years studying our Bible, doing Bible studies, doing the things that we do, and not grow as much, not be transformed as deeply in our hearts, which is where real change occurs, than if we pay attention to what's happening right now and respond biblically. I'm telling you, God has entrusted to this church a trial, a test, a storm. And how we respond can create in us, not, you know, 
in us for his glory more change and transformation and growth than, than years of studying our Bible. We've got this opportunity. Let's not waste it. And he changes us, let me say this one more time, not just for us, but for people outside the walls, for people in this community that he's placed us and in this planet upon which we live where we go and take the good news of the gospel. There are people hurting and they don't have hope. And I'm going to tell you something. There is no hope apart from the good news of the gospel that God has entrusted to us. And there are people in this room and in this community that got way more problems than a leadership transition at their church. And I'm not making light of it, you understand. Please don't hear me say that at all. But we know that. And they're watching how we respond. And that's okay. That's the way God designed it. That the world might see Him in us. It's just that conundrum that I hate, but we, that's maybe too strong, that's so difficult, but we cannot avoid, and that's this. In God's economy, we grow more when the water's raging than we do when the water's calm. Would you pray with me? Oh God, we come a broken and flawed people. And we come to the throne of grace. And we come boldly because you've, you've instructed us to come boldly because we come in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And so in him we ask, Lord, have mercy on us. May your spirit lead us and guide us. Continue to break us. Show us our weakness, our flaws, that we might repent, that we might ask forgiveness, that we might see your restoration that in our deep lack, we would experience your abundant fullness. And God, would you do that work in us so that we might be the light that you are in a dark world that does not have hope. We pray for Michael and Cindy, a hard time. Oh, Lord, would you encourage and hold, affirm them, bless them, grant them peace. Pray for the elders. Lord, continue to make them mindful that the role in which they stand and the office in which they hold, they can't do it from you but you will do it through them we entrust ourselves to you and you alone for your glory and your glory alone in Christ's name Amen
Let's stand together. I mentioned two weeks ago, I was teaching through Mark, and you know, I remember that when the garden all, all blank broke loose, and Peter saw everything go out of control, and I said, you know, when, you don't, when things go out of control and you don't know who's in control, you reach for the wrong weapon. You remember that? And, and, and clearly Peter looked up and he did not see the sovereign hand of God even, even behind the, you know, the evil, the hard, the imperfect stuff that's going on. It was the sovereign hand of God. Y'all, there's a sovereign hand that's ordering our way as a community of faith. And in that, may we not reach for the wrong weapon. And so I want to reach for the sword of the Spirit. And I want to invite us to, to put ourselves under its authority. And by the Spirit, let the Word speak to us and change us, for it does. Now, on Monday morning, I'm in my personal devotion, and you know, I'm just, I have a set thing that I do, and I happen to be in a chapter of the Bible, and I thought, God, that's, so, that's just so right for me, etc. This is Monday morning. Monday night, the elders are meeting, and they don't meet on Monday nights, but of course, things going on, they met on Monday night, and, and uh, in a time of prayer for the body, I, I just thought, that, 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 that chapter is so good. So I read the chapter in our context of prayer. And then on Tuesday morning, the staff meet in this room. Okay, and we meet right here, and we meet to pray, and we're praying for you, we're praying for the body, we're praying for everybody. And um, Mark Holman, uh, you know, one of, our, one of our pastors, he reads from the same chapter that I had looked at in my Monday morning devotion and that I had read over the elders on Monday night. I thought, wow, okay, because I'm thinking, Lord, what does the body need? Where are we? What's your word for us? And then on Wednesday, I went by Barnes & Noble because I needed to pick up a new journal. I finished my journal, and I'm a journal snob, you know. I got to have a certain journal that folds a certain way and all that stuff. And so I go, and they happen to carry these that I like. And, it, and there I go, and there it is. And you know what's on the cover? Guess. That chapter, that, it's on that cover. And I grab it, and, and I take it, and I go, you know, that's, that's amazing. And then Wednesday night, I'm at Publix over by where we live, and I run into Sandy Butters, and it's so fun to run into her because I just, that, uh, early in that week, we dropped our youngest daughter, Sally, off with 30 of your kids and adults to Comus, Peru. And the whole reason we're in Peru is because of Sandy Butters and her, her husband, uh, Warner, and her dad, by the way. So it was just fun to see. I said, how you doing, et cetera? So she goes, oh, she goes, I just finished a manuscript for a book. And I went, oh, my gosh, Sandy, that's fantastic. I said, I said, what's it about? And she says, well, I took this chapter in the Bible and I broke it down into seven parts. I said, really? Guess what chapter? And I said, okay. I think I got this. Bow your heads. May the word of God speak. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. 
does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For, if we, for we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Amen. And God bless.